right, gang. Come on back in. We're going to get into the uh, get into the message today. A couple of things I've, I've I've been told by a few people that there is a bird in the house, an actual bird, a red bird. That's not true. He's on the outside of the window. Okay, so everybody can look at that window. If you see a bird trying to commit suicide and into the window, it's he's on the outside. He's not on the inside. There's just several things that I've got to make sure that we're all aware of. With that, I think it's appropriate that we talk. You hear him? You heard? Yeah, yeah you hear it. Somebody, somebody is, is a comedian here. And, yep, there we go. There we go again. <clears throat> so, uh, okay, the joke's not, wasn't funny to begin with, and now you just need to stop. So we're in the last week of a series called It's Complicated. Talk about It's Complicated. It's complicated, and I uh, just want to open up by talking about a couple things. Um, on Wednesdays here at 6.30, we have Bible study and youth and stuff for the small groups for the kids. At 5.30, we have prayer here, so if you want to join the intercessory prayer, um, this, is, this is where we pray, um, right here in the auditorium, and I uh, just want to invite people to prayer. We do that every Wednesday. And in this series, we've talked about several different things. The first week we talked about adulting for Christians is really centered around the concept of agape love. And we talked about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with that. And then we talked about, around boundaries and how boundaries are actually very helpful. The narrow road, we talked about Matthew chapter 7. And then last week, we talked about parenting, Hosea chapter 11 from the heart of God. And today, we're talking about sexuality and um, the room kind of gets a little quiet around that one, and some of y'all were like, this is going to be uncomfortable, and my mom's sitting right there, so how do you think I feel? Uh, and they're a little too excited. <laughs> yeah, my dad's like, yeah, she's right there, yeah. Uh, yeah, think you're uncomfortable? Uh, why do we need to talk about this? You know, if you're a pastor, if you want to be un unpopular, preach about three things, money, sex, and politics, you know, and uh, there are people who are going to scour the internet uh, for preachers and sermons on this topic so that they can cancel folks like me. And most people would rather just ignore uh, the topic of sexuality and just let every person decide for his or herself how they're going to handle this kind of stuff spiritually and, and how it's going to be lived out. And we, we tend to shy away from these talks in churches when it comes to sermons, but we tend to be very vocal about them personally. And we tend to be very judgy about them on social media. And we tend to, like, really misconstrue and use scriptures and prayers and opinions in different ways. But when it comes to, like, church statements and stuff like this, we, we tend to just kind of live in ambiguity sometimes because we might just disagree with each other. We, we might have stronger opinions that can lead to some nastiness, and we shy away from this stuff sometimes as well because it just might lead to hurt. Uh, some of us in this room have histories. When we talk about sexuality, we have, there's trauma in this room that involves sexuality. There's, there's pasts that are filled with hurt and with pain. And so I realized that some of us today, when we even bring up the topic of sexuality, bless you, when we bring up the topic of sexuality and we talk about it, I realize it's tongue-in-cheek, it's complicated. I realize that some of you are going to pause, you may disagree, and you, you may even be mad at this preacher for something that I say, and I just want you to know, like, 
right out the gate, that's okay. I won't take it personal. I, I get it. It's a, no pun intended, it's a touchy subject. And I'm not going to be juvenile about this, even though deep inside of every single male in this room, there's like a 13-year-old humor that is just constantly trying to be repressed and not giggle for every sexual pun that is hitting our, our head inside. I mean, it's just there. But I'm, I promise, I'm not going to be juvenile. But here's what I'm going to do today, and, and here's what I'm going to attempt to do as a preacher. I want to begin with Scripture. That's a good place to start when you're preaching. I want to begin with Scripture. And then I want to break down some assumptions. And then I want to give you more Scripture. of Over 25 Scripture references in the sermon today. Get ready. <laughs> and then I want to give you some very practical resources. And so with the resources, I want you to get your phones out and have your phones ready because they're going to come up on the screen and you may want to get a screen grab of some of these. So have your phones ready. And for you parents that have your kids here in the room, I, I just want to let you know, not trying to be rude or crude, but some of this content is like PG-13 because some of these scriptures even um, is PG-13, uh, not PG, not because we're going to be crude or rude, but we're going to take scripture seriously. We're going to look at what scripture is saying here, and we're going to unpack it as adults, as people, because we are the people of God, and we're here for one reason. Why are we here today? To worship the Lord. To worship the Lord. So we're going to take scripture seriously, okay? We're going to take God at his word. And, and one last disclaimer before we get into scripture, and I want to say this very loudly and very clearly. Personally, as an ordained Assemblies of God pastor, I'm a traditionalist, okay? What does that mean? That means that when it comes to sex and when it comes to sexuality, I'm a traditionalist, which means that I believe sex, and when I read scripture, I see that sex is expressed within the context of marriage. That's what I read in scripture. And what we find in scripture is God's design for sex is that it's expressed within marriage between a man and a woman. That's the biblical model that we find. That's, that's the only model that we find in Scripture. And that's the theology that I was trained in. That's the background that I was trained in. That's what we live out and we teach our children. And I realize that we live in a world and in a society that may not agree with that, that does not agree with that. I've been in, uh, I've been in conversations where I've been shouted out shouted at with people who did not agree with me. And when I preach and I explain that and I do it calmly, I realize that I open myself and our church up to criticism from people who do not agree with me. But I want to be clear and I don't want to surprise anybody on these things. And I also, when I preach, I don't want to come across as someone who is an expert at condemning anybody because there is only one accuser and it's Satan. It's not a preacher. Any preacher that has an expertise in condemning doesn't, doesn't have the job description of a gospel bringer. Condemning is not in the job description. Accusing is not in the job description. So we're going to stay far away from accusation and condemnation. We're going to stay closely tied and closely embracing to the gospel that frees us to the life and the liberty that comes through Jesus Christ. Are we good with that? Okay. Some of us are. Some of us would rather go with the condemning, apparently. God's going to save your soul, I promise. Okay. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Some very, very good news 
Uh, we got some great kids' ministries. If you feel like your children uh, may not need to be here for this, fantastic people, Jackie and Misty, great people that, that uh, great kids' pastors. I would encourage you to go to them. Um, but we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27, 28. Foundational place for us to start when we talk about human sexuality. First book of the Bible. Very first. You open the first pages in the first chapter, Genesis chapter 1. Here's what it says. So, so there's 26 more verses before we get here. So God created humankind in his image. This is like the foundational verse for the prayer that we pray every Sunday, the image bearer prayer. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. The translation of this verse in the Nate-inspired version, which is not holy at all. My name's Nate, by the way. God put man and woman in a garden, naked, and left them alone to play and gave them charge over everything. What a great God we serve. That's what just happened. And if you question whether he left them alone naked in the garden or not, keep reading, because he did. That's what just happened. That union, that metaphor, that sexuality, all of that is God's design. Amen. Thank you. Whoever amen that. That playfulness, that intimacy, togetherness, that is God created. And anything God creates is holy. Say it louder for the people in the back. Anything God creates is holy. Will you say that with me? Anything God creates is holy. So for those of you taking notes, write this down. Sexual union is holy. Sexual union is holy. That means from here on out in this sermon that I'm delivering to you today, any definition of sexuality begins here with holiness. We struggle with this as human beings. This very foundational truth that sex is holy. Because sex is not treated as holy in our world. Like everything else that God has given us, humankind has fallen into sin with it. We have gone away. We have done our own thing. Sex has fallen into every other disrepair, just like every other thing in God's created order. But sexual union was created. God created male and female. He created them in his image. Next verse, he put them in the garden to, to, to be fruitful and multiply, to get it on. You laugh, but anybody disagree. That, that's the command. But there's a disturbing continuum in the Bible. And this is where we really, this isn't the PG-13 stuff. There is a disturbing continuum in the Bible when it comes to sexual expression. See, 
in our day and age, and even in the sexual revolution of the 60s, things got jacked up in sexual expression way before that. Humans messed this stuff up in biblical times big time. Even before the stuff in the New Testament that comes around to the eunuchs. So even in the same book of the Bible, so we've got Genesis 1, 27, 28, sexual union is holy. We come to Genesis chapter 2, and we have the first actual, literal definition of sex. The two become one, the one flesh kind of thing. But then we get to Genesis chapter 19, and we have lots of stuff about giants having sex with earthly women. Lots of different things about foreskin and incest and rapes. Daughters on dads kind of things. Yeah, we're getting into the like really weird stuff now. Genesis chapter 29, we have paid in wives and economy marriages. So like pay, paying in for marriages so that the economy of the family could be more fruitful. Then we get into Levitical laws, economy driven. We have uh, menstrual cycle laws, we have sodomy laws, we have don't let a man lie with a man like a, like a, like a woman lies with a man. Is, is, this, is this declaring things like, uh, is, is the, does this have to do with homosexuality or does this have to do with economy? Well, it's putting it all in the same context of economy and property, but it sounds like it's physical and it sounds like it's intimate, but it's, it's in all this same context with like economy. Gosh, I don't know. Then we get to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and you've got brothers fighting and it literally says in Deuteronomy chapter 25, don't touch your brother's testicles. It's there. Go look it up. Go find it. Do your own research. Proverbs chapter 5 gets into some really creative, interesting stuff about overflowing cisterns. I'll let you make your judgments about that. Ezekiel chapter 16 gets into fashion sex toys for religious practices. Ezekiel chapter 23, just some really graphic stuff about sexual metaphors describing the unfaithfulness of Israel. It's not saying that Israel was being sexually deviant. It was using sexual deviant graphic nature to describe how Israel was walking away from God. That was the metaphor that was being used there. Then you've got an entire book called Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. And Song of Solomon chapter 4 is like too hot for church. There's a, in Song of Solomon 5, there's this thing about my bowels were moved for him. My wife, my eyes are up here, babe, by the way. My wife has said a lot of things to me, but she's never talked about her bowels being moved for me. Yikes. Then in Song of Songs 7, there's a lot of stuff about pomegranates. I don't even want to get into that. Then, like in the prophets, there's a lot of stuff about, some of y'all are turning red. There's a lot of stuff about holy anger and fury of judgment because of bestiality and cross-cultural religious stuff and temple prostitutes. And what do you mean temple prostitutes? People would be chained to idols, and the worship service would consist of coming to the altar to have sex with a prostitute as an act of worship. That's what temple prostitution consisted of. And then you have Jesus and Matthew. So you have this Old Testament definition of sex in the beginning, this definition of sexuality, this holy definition of sexuality that is so narrow. Image of God, holy. 
And then you have the Old Testament kind of exploding, no pun intended, but exploding into this huge expression that is just disturbing. And then Jesus gets a hold of stuff in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. So it's like it goes from narrow to crazy wide in application. Back to narrow. And then Paul gets a hold of it in 1 Corinthians. And he says, you who are married, you are to have one spouse. We didn't even talk about the polygamy and the polyamory in the Old Testament. How King David had multiple wives, the man after God's own heart. How Solomon had multiple wives and hundreds of concubines. We didn't even talk about that. Paul gets a hold of this in 1 Corinthians and says, you who are married, one spouse, your body belongs to your spouse. Then he goes into 1 Corinthians 6 and says, not only that, your body belongs to the Lord. And then we get to 1 Corinthians 13. And he talks about agape love being a bigger kind of love. We talked about this the first week of this whole series, about how this agape love, this never-ending love, this full expression of love is greater than even this erotic love. We have this continuum of sex throughout Scripture which starts out so narrowly defined, so clearly defined, and then in practice it is just completely blown out into so many different expressions, almost the way that you see it being expressed in the world today. And then Jesus gets a hold of it. Paul gets a hold of it. So which scripture do we use to talk about sexuality? Where do we go? What does the Bible have to say? sex. The Bible, if you look at the scriptures, is not having, you can't take one verse and prescribe a theology of sexuality. You have to look at everything in scripture and you have to look at what scripture is saying and you have to look and you see that the Bible is not prescribing a way of life throughout scripture. It's telling us what happened with sexuality throughout scripture and it's showing us here is God's best throughout scripture. Here is God's idea throughout scripture. Here it keeps bringing us back to his best. In the beginning, you were created in the image of God. You look just like him. You got his DNA. And he, he put man and woman together in the garden, naked, and said, have dominion. Be fruitful. Get it on. Multiply. Do your thing each other do your thing and what did we do what did humanity do sin came in it blew it up and it got distorted and it got distorted and it got distorted and what happened Jesus came along and he says listen listen I'm telling you that if you just look on another person with lust in your heart 
you've sinned. Sin is bringing you further away from that best. And Paul's coming along and he's saying, hey, listen, your body is not your own, it's the Lord's. You were created in his image. All of this talk from a legalistic, humanistic viewpoint of sexual purity, of sexual, you know, do this, don't do this, all this stuff, all of this talk really goes back to God's design. And can I tell you something as your pastor and as your preacher, God's design is for us to live in freedom and not in bondage. And this world and everything that we live in will tell us that ultimate freedom feels the best. But sexual union is a holy thing. If I can convince you of anything from Scripture, it's that. The sex is holy. And humanity has taken the road and we've widened the road time after time after time. And we've taken what God has set apart as holy and we've customized it around our own arousals. We are hedonists. We like pleasure. We've used this verse time after time in this series, Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And this is so typical of how the enemy draws us in and condemns us. He uses something pleasing and pleasurable to lead us to damnation. We think that something pleasing and tantalizing will bring us more pleasure. But what it ends up doing is it ends up damning us. James says it this way in chapter 1. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to what kind of actions? And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The temptation that James is talking about here refers to a a hunter or a fisherman, kind of like baiting a trap. There's a legend, um, there's a legend about an Eskimo colony. Uh, Y'all know what Eskimos are, right? Up, up, Up north, like in the frozen tundra, you know, beyond, beyond the north wall. And, um, uh, there's this legend that, um, you know, they, were, they had their cattle or, or whatever, their lambs, and these, this wolf, this lone wolf, just kept picking off, picking off their, their, their herd one by one every night. So this Eskimo took a lamb, killed it, drained the blood, and took, a, took like a two-foot sword and went outside. And, you know, it's so cold outside. This Eskimo just dipped it in the blood, took it out, let it freeze, dipped it in the blood, took it out, let it freeze, and so eventually the sword looked like a big old like blood like stick. Like you couldn't even see the, the blade anymore. And so it was just this, this big thing. And this Eskimo just took it out, put it in the snow, secured it, and the wolf came at night <laughs> sniffing. Some of y'all know where I'm going with this. The wolf came up sniffing. And the wolf was attracted to the blood. It started licking at the blood. And it liked the blood. So it just kept licking and it kept licking and it kept licking and it kept licking. And it was like a blood popsicle. And this wolf was like, this is awesome. And eventually it licked down and it started 
licking the blade, but by that time, the wolf's tongue was numb because it had been licking this popsicle the whole time. And it just keeps licking and keeps licking, and the tongue is getting cut, and the warm blood was mixing with the frozen blood, and, but the warm blood felt warm to the wolf. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm getting something now. So he starts gnawing at it. He keeps gnawing and he keeps gnawing. And, and, if, and some of you are like, oh, God, stop. I can't take it anymore. And what he does is he ends up bleeding out because he just gnaws himself to death and cuts his mouth all up. Is that too dramatic? That's what sin does. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. Your relationships, your career, your community, your life. And he wants to get you licking a blade that seems like that's what you want and that's what you need. And he has a strategy to draw you in and to lead you to destruction. And wide is the road. Wide is the gate that will lead you to destruction. And how does this play out? It has less to do with politics and school than it has with home life. How does this play out? So I gave you like lots of scriptures. Now I want to get into some assumptions. I want to get into some of like how this plays out in everyday life. First, first, how does this play out? This, this, I get a lot of conversations from people, some of you here in this room, and I don't mean this in a condemning way. When I say this, what I want to do is I want to put this up in reality for some of us. I want to post this to you just so that we are dealing with things as they really are. Some of us are very fearful about what's being taught in schools and what's being taught in, 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 in our world and with politics and with different things. And can I tell you that what's being taught and modeled every day in our homes is far more powerful than what's being taught at school. It gets a little quiet when I do that. But it's true. What mom or dad or caregivers are doing and what's being modeled and what's being seen at home is far more powerful than what's being asked at school every day. And let me tell you where, where this plays. First, we are all exposed, every single one of us, we are exposed to some kind of sexual impurity. I'll never forget the first time I was exposed to what is known as the Playboy magazine. My neighbor, we'll call him Barry, because that's his name, um, out on Ebon Street. His stepdad had a little green shed behind the, behind, behind the house, and he had like old Playboys back there, and me and Barry found them. Don't worry, Mom, we only read the articles, okay? We found them. We had to work hard to find porn back in the 80s, y'all. Porn finds your kids today. These devices that we have, it finds them. They don't go looking for it. It finds them. Sexual images and access are completely different today than when I was a kid. Statistically, 85% of boys are sent are sent a nude picture by the age of 14. Let that sink in for a minute. 
57% of girls have seen or watched online porn by the age of 14 to 18. One in three underage teens have reported seeing non-consensual shared nudes of other minors, which is legally considered child pornography. This is our kids. This is our world. And if your kids have internet access, if your kids have unsupervised internet access, you're, you are ignorant. And I don't mean that in a mean way. You need to wake up. If your kids can get on their computer where their screen isn't visible or monitored, wake up. Not so that you can catch them and chew them out, but so that you can protect them. Because there is an enemy who wants to steal their youth and attack them and and kill them and destroy them. If you have someone in your scope and in your realm and they're under 50, protect them. If they're over 50, they're an adult. Don't be idle about this. And when, when they look at you and go, this is so stupid, look back and go, yeah, I know. I'm an idiot. When they look at you and go, but my friends, look at them and they, yeah, I know. I'm going to talk to their parents too. I think their parents should be more like me. See, young girls are, are, are watching and using the examples that they see to model what men want, what their boyfriend expects. And this is breaking my heart for our kids. People who use porn as a self-soothing technique tend to have some of the lowest reports of emotional and mental well-being according to a 2017 study. And men are more frequently being reported as having erectile dysfunction as early as their 30s because of frequent porn usage. In our audience, in our church community today, more people viewed porn statistically last night than prayed. Let that sink in. I am so sick and tired of the judgment. This is going to get me in trouble. I am so sick. I'm going to say it anyway because y'all know me. I am so sick and tired of the judgmental arrows and bullets and verbal judgments that go against the LGBTQ community when we have rancid sin in our browser histories that we don't take care of. Do we want revival that confess and lay our browser histories on the altar? Gang, in the beginning, God created us in his image. That is God's desire and God's best. And sin came along and screwed it up for everybody. There is no one righteous, no, not one. We have all been affected and infected. And we all need this Jesus. Sex is not evil. It is holy. Sex has been made into something by our sin that it was never intended to be. See, sex has, has it's thrust upon us all the time. Why? Because it is powerful. Porn is crazy powerful. It rewires our brains. 
It re- continual viewership of porn has the same biological effect on a brain as cocaine addiction. The same addict tendencies as cocaine addiction. There's, I'm going to give this to you in the resources later, but there's a website called fightthenewdrug.com. There are, so many, there are so many statistics and so much research that's being done around this that wasn't available in the 90s and in the early 2000s because the access to it was not as accessible. <laughs> We've turned it into sales. It's being leveraged in marketing. We've turned sex into a right as well. Can I tell you something? Sex is not a right. Not even for married people. Husbands, you do not, you do not have a right to your wife's body. Wives, you do not have a right to your, to your husband's body. According to scripture, you voluntarily submit it. If it hasn't been submitted and you take it, that's called rape. That's what it's called. If you voluntarily submit it, that's called submission. You are commanded to submit, but if you don't submit it, there's a thing called the law. You have to take these things up with Christ. You have to take these things up with God. But you also have to follow the law. Sex is not a right. To demand sex, that's Neanderthal. We don't demand sex of each other. We don't take someone else's body as our own. That, 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 that is taking it from the narrow focus, from covenantal, image-bearing. And you are denying someone the image that they were created in when you do that. You are not, you are not holding something as holy when you, when you refuse, when you take something from someone. There's nothing holy about taking someone's body from them in force. There's nothing, that is demonic. There is nothing holy about sex as a right. Sex is an expression of a loving God. It is mutual submission and it is freely giving. We've turned sex into identity. Sex is not an identity. Christians, our identity is in Christ, not in our sexual expression, not in our sexual orientation. It has always been in Christ, and it is always tempting to make the things that make us feel the best, it is tempting to make those things the good news. The things that make us feel the best, it's tempting to make those things the things that save our soul, but only Jesus Christ is the good news, not our feelings not our sensations, not our expressions, not us our all. And if we're going to believe that sex is holy, there isn't one scripture or a formula that's going to serve as a silver bullet. There's not one, there's not one tweet. There's, there's not one thing that's going to solve it all. We have to look at all of scripture. Hide the word of God in your heart. Why? Well, Psalm 119 says, hide the word in your God's word of God in your heart so that you may not sin so that you may not get caught up in this ever entangling web of sorrow so let's get practical let me give you some really practical things and then some resources and then then we'll pray and y'all can all go and talk about how the preacher talked about sex today okay 
sex practices for Christians. That's what I'm calling it. Married or single, older or younger. Start with honesty and confession. The fear that the church has over sexuality, whether it's same-sex, LGBTQ, whatever, needs to be right-sized. Hidden sin eats away at us. It's the log in our own eyes. If you want to see revival, we have to start confessing and praying and strip sin of its power. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves, and we're not living in the truth, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So be honest with yourself. If I have a problem, I need to be honest with God. I also need to be honest with one other person who can help me. I've got to be honest with God, but James also says that we should confess our sins one to another so that we may be healed. So if you don't have someone you feel you can confess to and you can get accountability from, maybe it's time to use the church for what the church was designed to be, a place of healing. Maybe it's time to talk to a pastor around here and say, hey, I need to confess something. We're here for you. And, and, and you know what? If you have a problem with porn, don't find somebody that you're attracted to and go confess your problem with porn to that person. Go find the ugliest person that you're just repulsed by. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. No. Find a pastor. Find somebody. Confess that. James 5, confess your sins one to another, each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. God wants to set us free, but my cooperation is important. You have to confess. There's, there's work that you have to do. Second thing, set up guardrails. Preached a whole sermon on this around boundaries. Go watch that. Proverbs 27 says, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes on blindly and suffers the consequences. Last thing, a little bit more about accountability. Set up accountability. Job 31.1 says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Why would I do that, Nate? Looking doesn't hurt anybody. Well, you know what? Um, making a decision not to look with lust at someone is called a guardrail. You decide how you look, where you look. Accountability is sought, not imposed. I seek out accountability. If, if I just say I'm going to hold people accountable, that's called me imposing on you. It's weird. If I impose accountability on people... I'm constantly judging people. No, no, no. It's when I say, hey, you know what? I've made, I've, made, I've made a decision not to look on people with lust. Will you hold me accountable to that? Will you check in on me? Will you? That's called accountability. Why would I do that? Because it's an act of discipline. So those are some really practical things I'd submit to you. Those really quick things. Set up accountability. Be honest and confess. Those are real things. Now, here's, here's some resources, and pull out your cameras for this because we're going to put some stuff up on the screen, and uh, the band can come because we're going we're gonna to pray right after this. There's some uh, resources. The first one is canopy.us. <clears throat> this, this, um, this is a software. This is an app that helps you protect your family from uh, unwanted apps and unwanted software and unwanted things. 
I do believe it's subscription-based, but it's a very helpful thing that some of you parents may want. The next one is called Covenant Eyes. This is a software uh, specifically for porn, and it helps you set up, uh, basically, uh, whenever you set up a, an account, you set up um, a reporting thing that whatever you look at gets reported to an accountability partner. So when I say I want you to hold me accountable, I'd put your email address in there, and you get to look at what I look at. Yeah, it's like actual accountability. It works. Covenant Eyes. I mentioned a um, website earlier called Fight the New Drug. That's this next one. If you want statistics on porn, if you want statistics and research on the data of what porn's doing physiologically, biologically, this is a great resource for you. Highly recommend it. And this Wednesday night, we're going to be getting into more of this sexuality stuff. We're going to be getting more into like the scripture stuff around basically whatever you want to talk about. I'm going to come prepared with some stuff, but we'll open it up with Q&A. You can grill me about some of the stuff I said today if you'd like. Um, But I want to be a resource to you as your pastor. So uh, you can bring it. I can't promise to have all the answers. I probably don't. I say I don't know a lot. But as a community following Christ, maybe somebody in the room will if I don't. At least we can pray together. Maybe point each other to it. I want to close with this scripture and then we'll say some prayers. 2 Corinthians 1. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to...